Hello and welcome back to The Experience Makers, the podcast brought to you by Cognify, the WPP Marketing Technology Consultancy. I'm Jo Milne and once a month we'll be reimagining customer experience with guests from across the marketing technology industry. We'll be delving into everything from what today's consumer really wants right through to the technology that feeds the experience economy and digital transformation. Whatever stage of the digital journey you're on, if you're in business today, this one is for you. Today, we're celebrating International Women's Day and talking about the sometimes thorny issue of gender balance in the technology sector. We'll celebrate the women who are paving the way and we'll talk about the challenges of addressing gender balance and explore some possible solutions. I'm joined in the studio by Cognified Client Director Kat Edmondson and Sarah Gunderson, Director of Partner Sales for the UK, Nordics, Middle East and Africa at the software giant Adobe. There's some amazing, incredible women working in the tech sector, the marketing sector and beyond today. I would love to hear some about who your heroines are and why it is they stand out to you. Kat, we'll start with you. Um, my first, I guess, would be Melinda Gates. Um, outside of having an amazing career, obviously working in tech and Microsoft for however many years, now her philanthropic work um, is kind of bar none, especially pushing more women to get involved in tech, um, the amount of money that they actually donate into that sector as well. And she really is a voice, I guess, for women to get more involved in STEM, but tech especially, just because it was so pivotal for her career. Um, the other one I always often think about as well is um, I feel like when we talk about startups generally in tech more generally, we always think that there's a lot of males that come to mind. But then if you look into it a bit more, there's always a lot of women who kind of like led those companies as well. So I remember reading a couple years ago about Alibaba and then I read about Lucy Peng, who actually was one of the founders as well. And you you will never really hear about those names when you think about these massive tech companies, but there usually always is a woman behind them as well. Um, so, yeah, I've kind of followed her career as well, but moving from working in their HR department up into one of the founders as well is pretty phenomenal. Amazing. Sarah, what about you? So I guess quite topically, because uh, she retired last week with uh, Ginny Rometty from the CEO for IBM. If you look at kind of her history, actually, she took on an organisation that was in trouble and really transformed it into the company that it is today. And she was one of the only of one of 60 women that sit at a kind of level in uh, Fortune 500 companies. So she's she's pretty cool. But when I was looking at UK tech heroines, because we often go to kind of the North American leaders, is actually there's some really interesting women out there from like Olivia Garfield, who the XBT OpenReach leader. She now is the CEO for Seven Trent. She was actually the first, the youngest CEO female in the UK for a FTSE 100 company. And when you look at kind of, you know, types of leaders um, and who's inspiring from a tech perspective, is there, there are some really young women who are doing quite different things around the technology space. So Samantha John is one that I looked at and was highlighted. She's a programmer, she's an entrepreneur, she's quite young, based in the UK. She's the CEO of a company called Hopscotch, who teaches children to code. And another lady who I thought was quite inspiring was a lady called Mahima Ahmed, who's an app developer. So, you know, you think about the world that we live in from a technology perspective, building apps is quite accessible to lots of people, right? You don't have to sort of be working for a big technology company. And what you, what I've seen for a lot of tech, uh, women in tech and younger leaders of tech is that actually they're 
building things that are also are not only good from a technology perspective, but also thinking about its um, interest for society. So she came from a Bengali background. She actually built an app that helped Bengali parents kind of think about how they can interact with teachers, you know, from a translation app perspective. So actually sort of giving a bit back to society in that respect. And I, and I love that. It's kind of combining two different aspects of technology, but for technology for good. I think there's an interesting discussion to be had. I think there's the sort of one side of the conversation, which is around how do we talk about women more? How do we put more of an emphasis on the idea of the female experience and, and the kind of the, both the struggles and also the things that make us really unique and, and brilliant and all those sorts of things. And then there's another side of the conversation, which is kind of a little bit of a people wanted to sort of dissociate from the idea of being female. You know, I want to be known as successful in my own right and I don't want it to kind of be a gender thing, mm-hmm. shall we say. I'd love to hear kind of your guys take on that in terms of, you know, you as individuals in your career and how do you you know, do you think of yourself as a woman in business, a woman in tech, or do you see yourself just as a leader? You know, I think early in my career, I maybe didn't see that as much. I didn't think of myself as, oh, I'm a woman and I'm entering the business field. But I think over the years, yeah, it's become a bit more apparent because as you kind of move up in your career and you start to engage with clients and other organizations and maybe you start to read more about business just generally, you kind of do see a bit more of especially senior teams tend to lean male more often than not. Um, It's obviously something that we're still having to deal with. But I've, yeah, I think about now, I don't see my, I see myself more as a woman in tech in that you can actually do more for other women. And I feel that I kind of try to take on a perspective of, okay, if we have more junior women coming into the company, how can we encourage them or give them advice or help them develop in a way that makes them feel like they have a path forward as well? Um, but when I first, yeah, when I first started, definitely wasn't something that I felt like I was this empowered woman. I just felt as a person in probably the business sphere more specifically. Yeah, I probably felt more the aspect of being a female in technology in the earlier days. Um, you know, I've been in tech my whole career. So in the early days, it was very much, you know, much more kind of male dominated than I think I, I, I recognise it today. Um did that kind of put me off? No, not really. I think, it, you know, maybe in some regards it kind of, you were forced to be sort of one of the one of the guys, right? You know, because you're just surrounded by them. Um, I didn't necessarily change, you know, who I was. I think, you know, we're just... But you, you were probably more conscious of that environment. Um, as I've sort of, uh, you know, progressed in my career, I think that actually I've noticed it more from other people coming to me to sort of making me realise that actually, you know, I'm a woman in a senior position in a tech organisation, um, still quite, you know, male dominated. Um, and actually, you know, younger women coming up to me saying, oh, you know, we really admire and respect you for, mm. for what you've been able to do. And I've not necessarily consciously, mm. you know, gone through that journey. I've just, you know, focused, I'm, you know, like many people, you know, just focused on kind of like doing, you know, building my own career, thinking about kind of where my aspirations are. Um, and it's probably, you know, over the last five years that I've probably spent more time thinking about, okay, well, you know, how can I leverage this? Mm. Um, you know, and how can I, you know, support um, individuals and we were chatting a little bit earlier, but I'm really keen on kind of thinking about still, I'm still surrounded by a lot of males, but there's much more of a balance today. If we look at the Adobe management team in the UK, we're, we're nearly half and half, right, which is actually pretty cool. It was probably not that five years ago. And at the same time is that 
I spend a lot of time just talking to men and women about it, thinking about the quality and where people want to aspire to and, and making it a more balanced environment. How do you think we can best have discussions around what we can do next? We've been talking about women tech for, for years now. Now in 2020, how do you see the sort of best way to talk about these things that you think is going to be most kind of productive? I think talking about it from a cultural perspective... Companies, I think, generally in business as a whole, you know, yes, are driven by their bottom line and kind of like where their revenues are. But I actually think that everybody's customer is actually looking at organisations more related to their brand, Mm -hmm. right? You know, so who do they represent, right? You know, who do they support? What kind of cultures and values do they have? And actually shifting it to kind of more related to that actually changes the dynamics of the conversation right because you're not talking about the difference between men and women you're talking about cultural values you're talking about what companies stand for and you know in that way I think it tends to lead to kind of much more of a an equality kind of conversation you know because I think that cultures and values however you're you're thinking about it actually bring out you know the best in both men and women you know and actually bring out what historically was sort of held down which was a lot of feminine characteristics Mm. right you know which are actually a lot more mm. kind of like in bear, you know, to where we are today. Yeah, I think oftentimes too, especially if you read about in the media, for example, as well, um, just about women in business, we oftentimes see a lot of the negative. Like we see a lot of like, well, we're not doing enough. We need to be doing more. But it's actually switching the conversation to be a positive about the strides we are making. And don't get me wrong, women still do not have the same voice that males do in tech. But the conversation, I think, needs to be switched a little bit to more of the positive. So as Sarah was saying, like what what people are doing to help their culture and the way we're actually switching that kind of narrative to be more inclusive. So it doesn't have to be women versus men, but it's actually just people working in tech and how companies are actually putting forward a culture that's inclusive for everybody. And it makes it an enjoyable people place to work. And it brings in more people into that organization, helps business, which is also better for their bottom line and their clients and everybody involved. We often hear about the sort of um, the pipeline challenge um, when it comes to particularly uh, with regards to STEM subjects and tech and sort of asking this question of what can we do, you know, what can people do more to try and change that? But I think there's also a sort of second part to that question, which is around retention. Um, so it's all fine and well training up women in certain subjects, teaching them to code or whatever it is. Um, but if they then come into a culture that doesn't necessarily fit or doesn't feel right or whatever, um, you kind of lose that talent. I would love to hear from you guys both um, what you think around this kind of pipeline challenge but also what does it look like in practice when we do actually fill the sort of skill gap and maybe don't necessarily fill the cultural gap? Yeah, sure. So maybe, um, you know, for the first point of the question around pipeline is uh, I think it really comes down to just actually making people aware of the opportunities. I mean, if I think about kind of I was 16, you know, and going to your, you know, job counsellor and asking, you know, what's available, I think that, it was a very narrow field, right? It doesn't even think about tech. I mean, like, there were just so many different types of jobs out there, you know, utilising, and, you know, we're a world that's surrounded by technology. Um, so it doesn't have to be in the tech world, you know, getting women to get more involved in, like, technology and, and kind of in business as a whole. But I think that the the options that people, you know, gave you or your lack of awareness of what's out there is you know, is part of the challenge. I mean, you know, as I said, I've got like a six-year-old, I've got a six-year-old daughter and, you know, I, I love the fact that so much of um, younger reading 
really emphasises, particularly for young girls, emphasises around what's what's out there. What are your options? Like broadening the horizon. I think. I mean, I love the books that kind of like Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls. You know, you go from like being a female pirate to um, you know working at NASA, but just giving that kind of mindset that you know there are just so many different options out there that you could you could be looking at, and you're not held back um, by your gender or your race or anything like that. And Kath, what do you think about this sort of well, if you want to comment on Pipeline, please do. But I'm I'm curious about this idea of the culture that you then end up in as someone who has either been trained up in a more technical space or even just ends up in a company that has a tech focus. Before I kind of joined Cognified, my first thought, like I think a lot of people, perception of tech is a software developer mm. or the old thinking of people coding, just not really sure exactly what it is. But my experience at Cognified has taught me, like, outside of that and those people being brilliant and amazing at what they do, we also have a huge amount of consultants and strategists and behavioral analysts and people from all different backgrounds and walks of life and that have didn't even start in tech, but now are in that field and bringing their experience and their education with them. And that helps diversify the pool of the interactions that we have and the outcomes that we get and the products that we're developing. And that, for me, I think has been the biggest learning is that it's just not that one side of it that you think about what your perception of tech is, but it's just business generally. And it's Mm. everybody from different backgrounds. So I think shifting the perception a little bit about what actually is tech and what what you're interested in actually can be applied easily into that space, I think, is a, a huge need, I think, for actually kind of getting more people involved, especially in the STEM fields, as we were discussing. But when it comes to culture, about getting there and actually staying, like any company, culture is kind of always adapting, right? So if you have more women coming into tech, you kind of do need to be adapting a little bit, but also listening to your employees exactly what it is they're looking for out of a company. So I think it's things like making them more visible. So just talking a bit more about women being in part of the company increasing transparency and exactly roles to make sure that everything's kind of seem as balanced and yeah just kind of listening to your employees as you go what do you think of the the role of men is in this kind of both in the discussion but also in the i guess the advocacy <laughs> and, the, and the raising because i think that's also kind of a, dif- a difficult nuance thing right where if you have you know male allies who speak out and talk about issues that women face sometimes they're sort of told to be quiet you're taking up space it should be a woman talking about this and then on the other hand if they don't say anything they're criticized for for staying silent and i'm curious what do you feel is the most effective way for men to kind of play in this space of trying to empower women more i think it's just being part of the conversation and actually just living it i was brought into cognified from another WPP company, actually. And I was um, brought in by a male at our company who I had met at a networking event. And he said, I think you'd be great at our company. Why don't you come work with us? Um, So for me, it was, we'd known each other for, I guess, a couple months at the time. But if he empowered me to be able to move into that space and actually feel like I could take on the role at that company. So him actually being able to live it And be positive to say, we want more females at this company. We know diversity is important was huge for me. So if you actually have males who are helping the communication, but actually living it out as well and not just saying these things need to change, but especially males in senior positions who are actually living the change and enacting it and embodying it, then that's huge. and It'll help make companies to actually make progress in the right direction. I mean, I positively encourage it. I mean, you know, I think that if... uh 
in anything, if you've got somebody else kind of, you know, stating your story or, or, or positively positioning something and it's not your own voice, I think that amplifies it. You know, if you look at kind of a lot of today's society, especially like I'm a working mother, like many, um, you know, but there are loads of working dads out there too. And, you know, I think that the, the two working parents share the same experiences, the same challenges. The more that, you know, men are encouraged, you know, in that environment to be thinking about kind of that work-life balance, to be thinking about kind of, you know, equaling childcare responsibilities and talking about what's working and not working, um, you know, helps to helps to balance that um, mm. and think about ways that we can collectively, you know, resolve those types of situations. I'm, I'm curious as to, I'm going to ask you another, a different kind of question here, maybe slightly more personal. So I'm, I'm curious to hear what you guys have to say. I think being on a podcast that's going out to people mm-hmm. um, and being in positions of leadership as the three of us are, we can look at this topic sometimes in a sense of like, looking backwards shall we say almost like looking down past our careers and saying you know what what could we do for the next generation or how could we try and make this better or so on and so forth but we are talking from position of power and a position of privilege to some degree however at the same time I think that there's still a lot to be said that even when you are leading or doing well or whatever there's still a lot of quite maybe pernickety things or or things that are maybe not quite as solvable that we don't necessarily talk about a lot when it comes to the, the just the experience of existing and being a female in a particular tech or business environment what are what do you right now feel a little bit challenged by maybe because of your gender so let me give you an example i'm 28 i'm at that point where i'm having to be like should i think about having children um, now or later, do I have to move back to Scotland to do that? So I'd love to hear a little bit about your current stages because we're all at different stages in our career and we're different places. Because I, I believe that we need to talk more about sometimes these smaller things. It's not just about hiring. It's also just about the experience of existing and being in this world. Being 30 and not having kids yet, I, yeah, I often do think about what will that pause look like? What would that look like in the longevity of my career? Would I be able to continue on after what that would look like? Because when you haven't got to that stage yet, it's kind of, you're just completely unsure. I think I'm also kind of at that in-between age where people, especially I think sometimes in male-dominated environments where they lean a little bit towards being like, well, you're young, but you're not. So you kind of have this weird pull of being like, well, I need to show that I'm more senior to assert my dominance a bit more, but at the same time, you're not always treated that way. So it's a weird back and it's a weird pull back and forth of saying, no, I'm here. I have the experience to be here and I have the voice to be sitting at this table. But yeah, it's like that kind of in between part of your career mm-hmm. where you're senior, but you have to kind of assert your dominance, I think, a little bit more. And your voice has to be that one level higher than it normally had been in the past to kind of, I guess, confirm your participation at the table also as um so you know i'm a director in adobe um and i have a lot of sponsors in adobe who want me to you know go further um and go to a like a more senior level um and i think that there's there's often kind of like a type so when you're talking about you know well where where do i see kind of my challenge and kind of going forward is actually try not to not be that type but actually to be much more comfortable with like who Sarah is Mm. and not what people think that I should be like at a particular role and that is a that is a constant kind of you know challenge because it means that you have to be more vulnerable you have to kind of have a look in yourself and kind of a go okay well what kind of a leader do I want to be Mm. you know what are the values and kind of things that I want to look at and how do I be more true to myself. I probably think that over the last couple of years, that's what 
I've probably spent more time doing and actually I found it slightly daunting, mm-hmm. you know, because I might not always have the same opinion as somebody else, right? Or I might do things in a particular way, you know, from a senior male kind of perspective is that they work in a particular way or they have a, you know, a particular type. Mm. Um, and just not being afraid to go, well, that's just not me. and I'm not going to conform to that, but actually I'm going to have my own personality, whatever that might be, and feel brave enough to, to do that. And I also spend quite a lot more conscious time thinking about my peer group of females as well and also giving them opportunities or encouraging them to have a voice too um, and to bring that kind of personality and that and that viewpoint to bear um, which I think is quite hard sometimes right when you're in an Absolutely. environment where they expect a certain kind of ilk mm. or a particular way of being to go well actually that isn't the only way to do it. Let's talk about society a little bit more broadly and business a little bit more broadly. There's been a lot of discussion recently particularly around AI and mm-hmm. technologies and particularly because you know the facts are it is predominantly men that are building these technologies particularly training these technologies we read about this a lot or heard about this a lot in um, Invisible Women by Caroline Criado Perez's book that came out last year I'm curious about what you guys think you know what are the implications for a more balanced workplace when we're you know a lot of the time recruitment and movements and businesses being predicated by decisions being made by technologies I'd love to hear your, your views on that. Well, I think you can give the examples of both Facebook and I think it was Google who had AI tools who le- were leaning towards male CVs because they were actually coded by males. So that was obviously a negative outcome right away of what happened. Um, but I think obviously when you do get a more diverse workforce that things like you actually get other opinions, you get other people involved in things like that, the chances of that happening are decreased. And like any kind of company, any kind of diversity is good. So the more women that you have or more diverse work culture that you actually have involved, the company itself benefits as well. And you don't see that those kind of things happening. But yeah, I think it's what is it like only 22% of women are actually involved in AI. So we still have a long way to go kind of in that sector. Um, But yeah, just trying to bring more women in, I guess, into AI more generally would obviously be like a huge need on our side. And I think as well, one of the interesting, I guess, narratives that sometimes used is talking about not you company X or organization Y need to have more diversity because it's fair, but also because it's good for bottom line. It's actually, you know, generally um, useful for business too. I wonder if you could comment a little bit on what you guys think around those kind of, um, I guess, narratives or the reality of what it means to have a more diverse workplace. Is it really that good, much better for business? I I was listening to um, a podcast recently from AJ Bang, who's the CEO for MasterCard. And actually, I, I loved kind of what he talked about when he was thinking about having that having that balance is that actually he has shifted kind of like the whole concept around, um, you know, IQ and EQ clearly being really important. But actually he raised kind of this concept of um, DQ, which I'd never heard before, which was around uh, kind of a decency quotient. (laughs) Um, And, you know, his philosophy was actually, you know, if we're thinking about kind of, you know, creating um, and and why is it good for business, is that actually he says, you know, that having the right attributes um, and the right traits to come to work, you know, as employees of bringing your heart and your mind to work actually had such a positive impact on an organisation and in itself 
you know, creates kind of a more diverse kind of environment, a different way of thinking about, um, you know, technology as well as, um, you know, how you're engaging in it as in an organisation. And I and I loved that kind of, you know, idea mm. and actually taking um, organisations to think about it on a on a different kind of level takes it away from the core technology um, yeah. and actually moves it to something that's more of that positive experience, you know, both for consumers of different products as well as for the organisations themselves. What, what role do you think the media plays in this situation? We haven't touched on the the very powerful, influential force yeah. that's yeah. outside of business. What do you guys think? I think it is in that kind of like positive role model. I mean, clearly highlighting where that where you know brands or companies or people aren't behaving in the right in the right manner, but highlighting where people are doing it really well and are being great. I mean, you know, we talked at the very beginning about kind of you know female, you know, women in tech. You know, but you you have to kind of dig deep to read you know, mm. to find this. And, and, and if anything, it's always kind of bubbled in a female network or something that's quite sort of, you know, closed mm-hmm. environment. And actually that doesn't help us, right? You know, if we're just talking amongst ourselves in, in a small environment, you need to get out of that, right? You know, so I, I think that the press could, you know, can help with that, right? Mm. Of making it more mainstream, you know, talking about kind of the positive inspirations or the positive ways that are happening and making people aware of what's actually out there. Mm. Um, you know, very often I think there's some really cool stuff that you know if it's stem org uk thinking about what they're doing but unless you went to that site you know you wouldn't hear about it yeah you wouldn't hear about the things that are already out there um there are lots of inspirational people and lots of organizations that are doing amazing things i think sometimes it's about access to information yeah that's probably the harder part and maybe that's i think that's where the the role of press could play a more significant part yeah, I think it's also just, again, switching that, as you were saying, that narrative from negative to positive. Like, we constantly are hearing stories about, oh, this huge tech company's done this and this has gone wrong, which is obviously we need to hear that because we need to know about change that's being implemented at those companies um, and the impact that it has, I guess, on not only their company but the wider business world. But, again, we don't hear enough of the positives as well about what companies are actually doing right which companies are doing right and which ones are actually trying to make a difference. So Sarah, when she was talking about some of the women in tech that she looks up to or that she sees as a heroine, some you wouldn't have heard of some of those people, right? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of highlighting those individuals and their stories a bit more to kind of put women and I guess those positive stories are more of a platform mm. that makes it more visible for other people to see and gives people who are either entering tech or thinking about it Uh, more visibility into what the environment actually looks like and what the capability of tech actually is. Yeah, because I think it does. It's that whole thing of um, not just having women talking about being a woman, right? And and not only having men talking about everything else. (laughs) And I think um, there's been a lot of initiatives where, you know, even just things like sources for articles, um, you know, making so many articles, particularly in the tech and science space, which I'm in, um, all your sources are men. And... um, you know, a lot of journalists now are really making a huge effort to ensure that they even just have women commenting in articles, one tiny sentence, but just kind of having that slightly more unconscious shift from simply just seeing more different kinds of names and different kind of perspectives. Um, let's go into a little bit of advice to, to wrap up. Thinking about organisations first, what do you think, um, you know, how would you advise or what do you think are good examples of organisations in terms of dealing with gender bias in the workplace? I think transparency within companies is huge. So when it comes to, for example, like moving up in your career at that company, so being a lot more transparent about this is what the role is expected of you. This is how we're going to help you get there. And being very clear to make it 
so that everyone kind of knows it's a, a fair playing ground for being able to move up in that company, I think is huge. Mm. Um, so that women can feel empowered, not even women, sorry, ma- men and women, so they know what's expected of them and that they know that how they're actually going to be able to progress in their career and help them develop. I think also transparency in showing the capabilities of women in the workforce as well or within that company is huge. So giving them a voice internally and a platform to be able to, well, also men as well, to be able to have that conversation about the good work that people are doing internally, whether it's men or women, is huge as well. I am a believer that I think that, you know, providing networks for for people, you know, for the individuals to kind of have dialogue and correspondence and that can be you know cross-cultural cross you know male and female and sharing that and getting them to talk and also giving them a platform from an organization perspective to not only get together and have a dialogue but actually you know for them to come up with kind of ideas and suggestions I've heard lots more about organizations that you know whether it's particular areas that you want to grow your business in or think about different ways of doing it is that actually empowering employees you know, and giving that platform for individuals to come up with kind of ideas and mm. then to have that influence on the organisation really makes a big difference. And I and I still think that, you know, having had my own experiences of being part of, like, shadowing programmes and, le- you know, in leadership circles, so women's networks um, and training, is that I think it's really important for women to still do that, right? I mean, you know, as I said earlier, I think that sometimes women are afraid to kind of have that voice and that kind of personal brand and actually giving them environments where you're helping them form that um, because I don't think it's something that is as natural, um, you know, that I've seen in my own experiences, I think is a, is a good thing, right? So, and, and every woman that I've spoken to sort of has a slight reservation, you know, maybe that will go away as generations go on and it becomes more equal and, and people don't have that. But I still see that as women today sort of have that reservation of being you know, that voice or being dominant to be able to come out and kind of, you know, uh, aspire for different roles and positions. So, you know, I still think that there's a place for that in organisations. Final question for you. What advice would you give to a woman at a stage of career of your choice? You can choose someone at a later stage career, younger stage of career, school, (laughs) uni, whatever, pick one and then give me a little bit of advice. I would say for, you know, you both talked about kind of, you know, being on the journey of, uh, you know, maybe becoming parents um, and thinking about that. You know, I had that six years ago and I probably my piece of advice would be to be bold and not afraid to make your demands. Um, You know, and I relate that to my own personal experiences that, you know, when I. Um, became a mother and I came back to work full time that um, you know I I thought I was going to struggle right and and there was nobody around that did anything but full time in in the work that I that I do Um, and actually it was my husband that said why didn't you just ask for it and I was like you can't do that (laughs) (laughs) Um, and it was something so simplistic but actually I asked for it um, and actually, you know, I got it. I I continue to work four days a week. I don't work full time. Um, And actually, when I got made, um, you know, director and was asked to lead the team, you know, that was like my my point was that, you know, this is here's my here's my rules. Mm. You know, this is how you get the best out of me as an individual. And this is what you're going to get back from an organisation perspective. Um, And I would never have done that five years ago. Right. You know, and I think that just kind of that aspect of not being afraid to ask because mm. what's the worst that could happen? Somebody says no um, or somebody says no to your idea or no to your to your proposition. So that would be mine. Love it. Cap. I think mine would be, I guess, maybe a start-ish of a career. Um, 
I think would be to look for something what's meaningful and look for meaningful work. So as I was saying earlier, there's so much in the tech space generally that isn't just coding and isn't programming and isn't software development, but it's also consulting and it's strategy and it's analytics. It's all of the above. So when you're looking into a space, take a look at what it is actually that you're interested in. For myself, I work in client services. I've done that my entire career. And I love being able to help my clients actually enact change that will impact them as an organization, but also their clients and their customers as well. So whether that was within the tech space or not, that is what I look for and something that challenges me. So now that I get to do that in the tech, tech space and I'm continuously learning, it feels that much more fulfilling to be a part of that space as well, knowing that that's something I enjoy doing, but I'm continuing to learn and be a part of a growing and interesting and exciting sector that I might not have been in before. Yeah, maybe to add to that is just to um, not be closed about yeah. um, positions and opportunities is, you know, actually you build what you think you're going to be good at and kind of where you want to go. For sure. By having multiple experiences, right? If I could talk to my younger self, I would have said, God, you know, when you're young, it's go and try everything. Yeah. Like go and try different jobs, work for different companies, you know, otherwise how do you how do you know what you're going to be good at or, or, what, or what you're going to enjoy? Um, so, you know, while you're young and, you know, probably have more flexibility is, is you know, try stuff that's different you know put yourself out for jobs that you wouldn't think that you would be the right fit for um you know to have a different experience and a different lens because I think that forms a much more rounded opinion as you as you grow and when you get to more senior levels that becomes really relevant right Mm -hmm. because you've got different perspectives and different Mm -hmm. angles to look at so Mm -hmm. it can only help you yeah, I think like sub- for myself again, just, yeah, when I was first looking into tech, I was looking in the eye. I kind of was looking at a negative being like, oh, my goodness, I don't know anything about this yeah. field. But then when I stopped and was like, well, no, let's take this as a learning opportunity and I'm going to be able to grow and adapt as an individual, not as woman, as an individual. <laughs> um, my mentality about it kind of like changed completely and just kind of saw this new industry in a completely new way Mm. and saw it as this exciting new thing I was going to be taking on rather than the fear of the unknown of thinking I don't know anything about this sector I can't do that Mm. I thought about well this is another challenge let's go so I think it's also kind of yeah flipping that mentality to be a more positive one and understanding that you need different experiences and backgrounds to be able to grow is huge. Amazing. I think something I was going to add um, that I always think a lot about as well, which kind of links into what you were just saying there, Kat, is, you know, what does power mean to you mm-hmm. as an individual? Because everyone, power is a very um, individualistic <laughs> thing. Um, for some, it's, you know, speaking out. For some, it's being able to do what they want, freedom. For some, it's learning. For some, it's knowledge. And so I think being able to have an understanding of what makes you feel accomplished or not necessarily successful, but, you know... Um, Drives you. Yeah, and good in your own skin and feeling like you're in control of your life somewhat. Um, when there are instances, male, female, whatever, where you do feel disempowered, being able to go back to that idea of, well, actually, what makes me feel powerful and how can I reclaim this or get it back in my life? Um, that's always something I try and think a lot about or try and um, speak to people about what they they feel as their own sense of power. Because there are times, as a woman, unfortunately, that you do feel disempowered and really the only way is working out how to get it back. Yeah, indeed. And I think that, you know, from an organisation perspective is probably, you know, 
we all have job descriptions, right? And we all have different histories, right? So you were just, Kat, you were just talking about kind of the different type of work that you've done. I think organisations could look at people in, uh, you know, as individuals. I think that you have a job description. I know you've got to be able to do it, but actually sometimes we're quite conformed about having the right, you know, number of years doing that job yeah. and, you know, uh, you know, or the right experience. But actually it then becomes a very narrow path, um, and actually, when you're thinking about kind of that diverse aspect is that you want that diversity, right? You want that different, you know, school of thinking. So for organisations to be more open um, about, you know, how they look at individuals, right? You know, and the t and being more open to people doing jobs that are not their set roles and taking people out of their comfort zone, actually, I think would be would would be a great thing for companies to do because then you'll drive that diversity. Amazing. I think that's a nice point to, to finish on. Thank you both so much for, for joining us on the show. You've been listening to The Experience Makers, a Cognified podcast. You can follow us at Cognified on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram, or you can visit us at Cognified.com. Don't forget to tune in next time when we'll be talking about the increasing power that the influencer has over consumers. I'll be joined in the studio by Chloe Cox and Stacey Newman from Wonderman Thompson and asking how marketers drive their brand across a multi-channel strategy, whether they can trust external forces like social media to accurately reflect their customer experience.